Our Old Testament reading this morning is from Exodus chapter 22, verses 16 through 31. And I'll remind you again, as we are in the portion of Exodus where God is uh, giving laws to his people, uh, letting them know how they are to live, not as slaves in Egypt anymore, but as his people, where he said, I will be your God and you will be my people. And uh, they have to learn a whole new way to relate to each other and to him. And so I remind you as we go through this that when we look at these today, of course, uh, we have to read them uh, in light of Jesus and uh, how we live on this side of um, Jesus coming, living, dying, and raising again. Uh, Before we read, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word, which you have given for our good. God, we do thank you uh, for this precious gift, and God, we pray that you help us um, not to take it for granted. God, to receive it for the gift that it is. God, we pray that you would help us as we hear your word read and proclaimed uh, to come to know you better. God, that we would even more today by your word and by your spirit be formed and shaped into the people that you have made us to be in relationship with you through Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Fair warning, it starts weird. Here we go. If a man seduces a virgin who is not pledged to be married and sleeps with her, he must pay the bride price, and she shall be his wife. If her father absolutely refuses to give her to him, he must still pay the bride price for virgins. Do not allow a sorceress to live. Anyone who has sexual relations with an animal is to be put to death. Whoever sacrifices to to any god other than the Lord must be destroyed. Do not mistreat or oppress a foreigner, for you are foreigners in Egypt. Do not take advantage of the widow or the fatherless. If you do, and they cry out to me, I will certainly hear their cry. My anger will be aroused, and I will kill you with the sword. Your wives will become widows, and your children fatherless. If you lend money to one of my people among you who is needy, do not treat it like a business deal. Charge no interest. If you take your neighbor's cloak as a pledge, return it by sunset, because that cloak is the only covering your neighbor has. What else can they sleep in? When they cry out to me, I will hear, for I am compassionate. Do not blaspheme God or curse the ruler of your people. Do not hold back offerings from your granaries or your vats. You must give me the firstborn of your sons. Do the same with your cattle and your sheep. Let them stay with their mothers for seven days, but give them to me on the eighth day. You are to be my holy people, so do not eat the meat of an animal torn by wild beasts. Throw it to the dogs. Our gospel reading from Luke Uh, Chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, those of you who are paying close attention will know that this is what we were supposed to read last week, and I skipped it. Not on purpose, just skipped it. But we don't want to skip it. Uh, And so we are coming back um, this week to Luke 5, 1 through 11, and then next week we will uh, jump over what we read last week and pick it up in 17. But here we go. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. 
He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, this morning, uh, our sermon text is from 1 Corinthians chapter 9, uh, verses 1 through 12. And this is uh, looking at Paul, who's writing to this church in Corinth. Uh, Paul, who is actually the one who uh, brought the message of Jesus to the city of Corinth and started this church there in Corinth. And now he is not there, and they have been really influenced by the Corinthian culture, which was, um, as a whole, very much not living uh, for Jesus uh, or with him in any way. And so they had a very different way of doing things. And so they are following um, other gods, etc. They are uh, living for themselves. And, um, and a lot of the people who are part of the church in Corinth were being formed and shaped and pressured in those same ways. And so it's affected the life of the church and how they are trying to follow Jesus together. And so, um, and so Paul has written back to them about this, and uh, what we looked at last week was how there's this whole issue of food sacrificed to idols, and what do you do with that? And uh, what we had looked at there is how Paul points out that when deciding if something is right or wrong for you to do, there is more to be considered than just, is it allowable for me to do this in my relationship with God? But we have to consider our neighbor as well. Uh, what effect does it have on them if I do this? And so that's where uh, we were last week. And where we are this week is uh, Paul takes this same idea and then applies it to himself. Who'd have thought, right? And so this is the same kind of thing that he says in uh, chapter 4. In chapter 4, verse 6, he says, Now, brothers and sisters, I have applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit so that you may learn from us the meaning of saying, et cetera, et cetera. And we see him doing this. Like he will say, here's what you guys are supposed to do. But it's never a, here's what you're supposed to do, and I'm going to go do something else. <laughs> but he's like, no, look, look at my life. This is what I'm doing as well. Um, in fact, he will even say in, uh, in chapter 11, verse 1, 
follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. And so what he is trying to do is model for this church what it looks like to follow Jesus. And so it's like if you can't, if you can't see uh, Jesus, look, look at me. See the ways that I am trying to follow him and then copy that. And so, so he points out where he is and what he's doing and the ways that he has um, done exactly what he's calling them to. Here's how he puts it. Uh, 1 Corinthians 9, verses 1 through 12. He says, Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not the result of my work in the Lord? Just so you know, he's going to ask a lot of questions. Just be ready for that. Even though I may not be an apostle to others, surely I am to you. For you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. This is my defense to those who sit in judgment on me. Don't we have the right to food and drink? Don't we have the right to take a believing wife along with us, as do the other apostles and the Lord's brothers and Cephas? Or is it only I and Barnabas who lack the right to not work for a living? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard and does not eat its grapes? Who tends a flock and does not drink the milk? Do I say this merely on human authority? Doesn't the law say the same thing? For it is written in the law of Moses, do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain. Is it about oxen that God is concerned? Surely he says this for us, doesn't he? Yes, this was written for us because whoever plows and threshes should be able to do so in the hope of sharing in the harvest. If we have sown spiritual seed among you, is it too much if we reap a material harvest from you? If others have this right of support from you, shouldn't we have it all the more? But we did not use this right. On the contrary, we put up with anything rather than hinder the gospel of Christ. All right. Just so we're following what's going on. He's asking them a bunch of questions. He's trying to lead them down this path so that they come to this understanding of exactly what it is that he's calling them to do. And what it is that he's calling them to do is uh, what we looked at last week in chapter 8, verse 9, where he says, Be careful, however, that the exercise of your rights does not become a stumbling block to the weak. And this is where we said there's a big difference between having the right to do something and it being right to do it. <laughs> and so, um, and this is where Paul then defends the rights that he has to the church in Corinth. And he lets them know, I do have this right. This is a right that I have. And I'm choosing not to use it. And I think sometimes we look at the uh, thing saying, oh, well, if you're not supposed to exercise your rights, maybe that means you're just supposed to give up your rights and you just don't have any. And it's like, no, that's not it. <laughs> so he does defend his right. I do have the right, as an apostle, I do have the right uh, to receive financial support from you, church in Corinth. But I'm not going to exercise that right. And in, uh, <clears throat> But he makes sure that they know that he does have this right. And then he also lets them know why it is that he's not using this. And we'll talk more about that uh, next week as well. <clears throat> but, uh, but he points out in the very first part, where he says, uh, am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Uh, are you not the result of my work in the Lord? And so for anybody like, oh, well, of course he doesn't get paid. He's not really an apostle. He's like, 
Okay, maybe other people could say that, but how could you say that? Like, I was sent to you. You received the message of Jesus through me bringing it to you. You of all people know uh, who I am and that I am uh, an apostle. And then that's where he says, are you not the result of my work in the Lord? Even though I may not be an apostle to others, surely I am to you. You are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. And so if there's ever a question, it's like kind of point to the church in Corinth and be like, yeah, that, that demonstrates that Paul is uh, living as an apostle of Jesus. And then you have the people in Corinth being like, yeah, I don't know about that Paul guy. Maybe, maybe he's not. I don't know. Is that why we don't pay him? And he's like, no, that's not why. The reason why is because though I am an apostle and though apostles can um, be supported by the church, he says, I have specifically chosen not to, in your case, for your good. That's what's going on here. And this is, um, <clears throat> but he goes through. Uh, most, of, most of this section is just defending the rights that he has. That's what a lot of these questions are. Uh, don't we have the right to food and drink? Don't we have the right to take a believing wife along with us? Um, <clears throat> Or is it only I and Barnabas who lack the right to not work for a living? And then, uh, who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard and does not eat his grapes? Who tends a flock and does not drink his milk? Do I say this on, merely on human authority? Doesn't the law say the same thing? And then he goes back and he quotes from Deuteronomy 25.4, where it says, uh, do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain. What a fascinating passage. Paul is talking about apostles having uh, the right to financial compensation for the work that they are doing among the people. And he goes back to the Old Testament and he looks in uh, Deuteronomy at this verse. Do not muzzle an ox while it's treading out the grain. And it's like, see, right there, there you go. Paul, that's talking about something totally different. And his point is, no, it's not. And that this is one of the things that we talk about, uh, you know, saying we've got to read the Old Testament in light of Jesus, that kind of thing. But also uh, what John Walton has famously uh, reminded people again and again, that the Bible is written for us, but it wasn't written to us. And so uh, this is the same kind of language we see here even, where he says uh, in verse 10, surely he says this for us, doesn't he? Yes, this was written for us. Now, if the way that this is, uh, the way that you read the law of the Old Testament is you look at where it says, do not muzzle an ox while it's treading out the grain, and you go, well, I own no oxen, and we don't do much grain treading in my line of work, therefore, this doesn't apply to me. And what Paul says is, not so. <laughs> that there is actually a principle at work here that is being taught through this law that applies much more broadly in the same way as what we looked at last week of when he's telling people who are very much uh, dealing with the issue of, do I eat this meat if it's been sacrificed to an idol? And we're like, oh, well, we don't deal with that, so we're fine. It's like, no, it actually applies to us. <laughs> Even though it wasn't written to us, it was written to people who were wondering about this particular meat. Even though the Deuteronomy was written to people who were dealing with oxen treading out the grain, 
it all is for us, for our benefit. There's um, things that we learn about the character of God and what it is that he is, who it is he's calling us to be and how it is we are to relate to him and to each other through the whole of Scripture. And we see a wonderful example of this in the New Testament of how uh, he looks at the Old Testament for exactly this sort of thing. And so when he reads about this in Deuteronomy, about the oxen treading out the grain, he's like, surely he says this for us, doesn't he? Yes, this was written for us. Because whoever plows and threshes should be able to do so in hope of sharing a harvest. The original verse is the ox, right? (laughs) That's who's helping in the work. And he says, even the ox ought to be able to work in the hope of sharing in uh, what that work produces. And he says, and then he applies that then to the apostles. And he says, if we have shown, sown spiritual seed among you, is it too much if we reap a material harvest from you? If others have this right of support from you, shouldn't we have it all the more? And so there again, he's just gone through all these questions, all the things that he's been asking them, and it's all been to convince them that he has this right. But he's not trying to convince them he has the right in order that then they will compensate him financially. Isn't that fascinating? He could go through all these arguments and be like, you should be paying me and you're not paying me, but look, let me, let me explain why I, I absolutely have the right to be paid. Therefore, pay up. But that's not his point, and that's not the conclusion he draws. Instead, he says, uh, basically, yeah, I absolutely could demand that payment, but I don't. And so in this particular situation, he wants them to know that he has the right for the sake of others that will come later. But for him at this point, he says, I don't exercise that right for your own good. Um, And so this is where he says, uh, if others have this right of support from you, shouldn't we have it all the more? But we did not use this right. On the contrary, We put up with anything rather than hinder the gospel of Christ. And so perhaps uh, he was able to minister to that church in Corinth differently and better uh, by not making use of that right. So then here's the question. How is this for us? Do we look at this passage and go, yeah, this is uh, clearly a passage about not paying your pastor because he says he doesn't, no. <laughs> but neither is it, uh, the whole point is it's not about whether or not you're paying your pastor. What it is about is that there may be times where that right is exercised and right where that, is, where that right is not exercised. But even that is not really what it's all about. Because in the same way the food sacrifice to idols means more than just food sacrifice to idols, in the same way that the oxen treading out the grain is more than just oxen treading out the grain, so whether or not the apostle gets support from that church is about much more than just about whether that apostle gets support from the church. And so what it is about is he has applied to himself this, uh, this principle that he's trying to impart to the church in Corinth that you have rights that you really do have. But just having the right 
isn't the end of the question. Um, N.T. Wright puts it like this when it comes to Christian freedom. He says, Christian freedom is not freedom to do what you like, but freedom from all the things that stop you being the person God wants you to be, which is freedom for the service of God and the gospel. I'm going to read that again. It's really good. He says, Christian freedom is not freedom to do what you like, but freedom from all the things that stop you being the person God wants you to be, which is freedom for the service of God and the gospel. Is that what we see Paul doing? Absolutely. Is that what we see him trying to help the Corinthian church to understand? Absolutely. This is the same kind of thing that we see in uh, the book of Hebrews, uh, chapter uh, 12, where it says, uh, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. Uh, For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Here we have uh, someone talking uh, to people and using this language of running a race as this is the life that God has for you. And yet we get involved in other things. Uh, What is it? Everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And you can imagine what it's like to try to run a race uh, when you are um, wrapped up in clothes that just aren't at all suited for running. <laughs> and like, there's a reason why when you go to a track meet and you watch the sprinters, they are wearing clothes that are pretty aerodynamic. And uh, you don't see people like using the drag shoots they might use in training. <laughs> to run the race that has been marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. This is what Paul uh, is encouraging uh, to the church in Corinth. Now, here's another way of looking at this. This is, uh, if you go to Romans chapter 12, Hebrews 12 and Romans 12 today. And you're wanting to know how to put this in, uh, into application. You know that this, um, Romans chapter 12 starts, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And sometimes we're familiar with those verses. Like we do need to think differently than the rest of the world. This is what Paul's been encouraging the church in Corinth is they've been thinking like the rest of Corinth. And he's like, no, no, no. We need to be thinking uh, like Jesus. We need to have that mind of Christ. And um, the same kind of thing that he talks about with the Philippians, same thing he talks about with the Romans. And, uh, <clears throat> and then he goes on, and I heard years ago in a Bible study that we did uh, on Romans chapter 12, uh, the guy who was leading it said that somebody had asked him at one point, 
uh, what does it look like to live as a Christian? And his immediate response was Romans chapter 12. That's what it looks like <laughs> to live as a Christian. And so when we're looking at this, uh, 1 Corinthians 9, 8, 9, 10, uh, and this principle of you know, the, the rights that we have, and yet, just because we have the right to do it doesn't mean it's right to do it, um, then we have to look, <clears throat> look and see what it is that we have been uh, told to do. So look at places like Romans 12. And as we go through that, go through it really slow and prayerfully, and ask what it would look like to live out what this is saying with your family, with your neighbors, in your community, in your church. Um, And if in doing some of these things, that may mean not exercising some rights that you do legitimately have. So there are uh, kind of three words that we can hold in our heads as we're thinking about these things. Can, should, will. A lot of times we skip that middle one and we say, can I do this? Then I will do this. It's, it's the Jurassic Park problem. <laughs> they were, uh, was, what's the line? Does anybody know it? But the scientists who spent so much time uh, seeing if they could do it, they didn't stop to think if they should, something like that. Anyway. But we just kind of skip the should. And we go, can I do this? Do I have the right to do this? Yes. Then I will. And that there actually is that middle word, that should. So between can and will, there's should. And so you say, can I do this? Yes. What should I do? And then that should, uh, should determine then what you say I will do or not do. Um, anyway, we're not going to go through Romans 12. I'll let you do that on your own. Um, <clears throat> what I will leave us on, though, parts of two verses, one from chapter 8 in 1 Corinthians and one from chapter 9. Chapter 8, he said, Be careful, however, that the exercise of your rights does not become a stumbling block to the weak. In other words, consider your neighbor. And then in chapter 9, verse 12, where he says, You know, we did not use this right. They have. He says, On the contrary, we put up with anything rather than hinder the gospel of Christ. In other words, consider the gospel, the sharing of the good news with those who need to hear it. Both of those ought to be a part of our uh, decision-making framework, more so than just do we have the right to do it. As we see from Paul, he had the right. (laughs) Nobody could tell him otherwise. But just because he had the right to do it didn't make it right to do it. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.